Hi everyone and welcome to the Curve Mindset Podcast. Today we're joined by Chris Ramsey. How are you Chris? Very good, thanks. Good, good. Can you just uh, give the listeners a wee bit of background about yourself? Uh, well, I was, um, I'm an ex-player. Um, started off at Bristol City as, a, uh, as, as an apprentice back in those days. Um, got released from there and I went to Brighton in the old First Division, which is now the Premier, Premier League. Um, I was there for four and a half years and I ended up going to Swindon for uh, three years and then to Southend for two, two, two and a half seasons. Sustained a bad injury, I had to stop playing in this country. Um, but I recovered and went to um, Malta uh, where I ended up as the player manager at uh, 29, 28-29, so I did that out there for three years, came back to England where I went to uh, university while I was the youth development officer at Leighton Orient. Um, During that time I um, I was coached Newham ladies as well back in in those days, It uh, it was pretty unique. Uh, to have a, a paid coach for for a women's team, which was you know, a big learning curve for me. Um, I did football in the community at uh, Leighton Orient, uh, QPR actually. QPR that was one of my teams when I came here. I couldn't get a job to start with. Brentford um, and Wimbledon, so you know that was that was quite interesting. Yeah. Um, so that's how I came back into the country. Um, and in that time I went to university did a teaching degree for four years the uh, Bachelor of Education during that time I did uh, ten other diplomas in fitness and nutrition um, you know um, which was you know I got a first for knowledge and, and, and learning after you know, 17 years oh, no, after I left school um, and from there I got headhunted by the, by, by the FA I mean, and during that time, I was at co- I, I coached at uh, I coached Florida Tech um, University out in America, um, and Coco Expos. That was just before before there was the MLS. I, I, I worked out there with Ricky Hill, coaching Coco Expos and playing for them as well. Um, <clears throat> after that, I went to I got headhunted by the FA. I worked with all the teams, all, you know, from under twenties down. I've, I've worked with them either as a head coach or, or um, I don't know, an assistant. Learned a lot while I was at the FA. Um, I did, um, you know, I was one of the one of the authors of the fitness badge. Now you see, there's loads of uh, um, there's loads of uh, fitness coaches out there. Yeah. There were none to start with, you know, back in the day. The the assistant coach used to do the warm up. Um, so, so I learnt a lot while I was at the FA. I was Howard Wilkinson's assistant when I was there. Um, left the FA um, and went to Luton as assistant manager with Ricky Hill. Uh, the inevitable happens when you when you're first team, you're first team coach. We got sack. Um, happened to be the first two black pairings as as coaches um, coaches in, in in this country anyway. Um, Left there, became an agent for a year, which I absolutely hated. Um, and I, I uh, used to moonlight coaching at Barnet with John Still, 
which I had, where I learned a lot about philosophy uh, there. He, he, you know, he, he was a very, very experienced man. Um, eventually, you know, there was no job, permanent job for me there, and I didn't want to be an agent, um, you know, much longer. So um, I went to America and coached in Charleston, Charleston Battery for uh, three seasons. Did really well, a national champion, um, coach of the year. This was when the MLS only had ten teams, yep. so the the, the uh, league below was very strong. Um, and affiliated to a lot of the MLS teams. Um, you know, after my three years there, which, like, as I said, as a, as a, um, a a coach of a first team, you you know you end up getting the sack. Um, but I had three fantastic years out there. Uh, carried on my coach education. I did uh, you know some coach education in Bermuda and places like that for the FA while I was out there because I'm still a level five tutor for the FA. Um, I left there and I went to Fort Myers in Florida, which is a fantastic place um, on the on the Mexican uh, coast, Gulf Coast. Uh, I went there and I was uh, director of football for a club called Florida Premier for a year, but I was a little bit underemployed because obviously, you know, it, 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 you know, going from where I was to there, it, it, you know, it's it a big, big uh, job out there, really, because if you think about it. You know, we had like 11 pitches and, you know, and we were one of the smaller clubs, you know, this is very well funded out there, the players play, pay. So I was there for a year and during that time I had, uh, I had another job that, you know, that sustained me as well with um, a, a, an organisation called the Dream Foundation, which was the Martin Luther King, um, sort of one of his, one of his foundations that that looked after um, funding for homeless people and sickle cells and stuff like that. But anyway, that that came to an end really because uh, because uh, my son was living in this country. I wasn't with his mum, and uh, you know after three years of being or four years of being out there, seeing him intermittently, it was time for me to come home. And fortunately for me, I got a jo- I got a phone call from John McDermott at Tottenham. He was the you know new newly installed academy manager, and he asked me to be his um, assistant assistant um, academy manager. So um, that was in two thousand and five. So I left there and came and came here. Right. Um, just going to Spurs. Um, you told me there was a role there. But what was your kind of mindset when you kind of got that phone call, and then when you actually started to really, you know, work with the players? Uh, well, when we got there, two thousand and five, you know, obviously they'd, they'd, uh, you know, you know, got a strong academy, um, but you know they wanted change, and. Uh, um, Yeah, so they wanted change. They hadn't produced um, any permanent first-team players for many a season. Uh, I think Ledley King was the last one that had been there. But, you know, they'd done good things before. The John Moncur was in charge and he'd been there 25 years. And um, I, th- I suppose his, um, his tenure came to a natural end. Um, John McDermott took over. We went over there and, uh, we dis- you know, John and myself had both worked for the FA and we always kept in touch when I came back from uh, America we used to go and watch games together and and we always talked about development philosophy you know um, throughout the years 
Brilliant. Sorry, my voice is gone at the moment. Um, you've coached for your country, which was such a, a big honour. But what was the kind of hardest uh, job you had to deal with, like you know, working with the younger ones, and how do you kind of deal with the kind of mindset of like some players that might not be starting, and how you kind of dealt with the kind of management? Uh, well, it's, it's a, the thing is, I'm quite fortunate because I've worked from under nines to first team. And, and I'm continually doing that in, this, in the role that I'm in now. So you, you continually have to, to, you know, vary your approach. You continually have to understand who you're working with and how to deal with them, not only as people, but how to deal with them, you know, in their age and, and emotion uh, uh, related, really, you know. And uh, dealing with, with players along the, along the continuum is, is obviously challenging, but um, understanding where the players are coming from and taking into considerations what they can actually do. So we, we, we work really on a strength-based programme. So it's a strength-based capability programme. So we look at the strengths of the player. We look at the capabilities uh, of, 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 of the player and then we, we work from there. Whereas a lot of people work from the weaknesses. Right. And um, you mentioned uh, Luton Town. What was the kind of your job role there? And was it first team or was it academy? No, um, I was assistant manager of the first team with Ricky Hill. And how did you kind of deal with um, the players then? Because a lot of players go to the assistant manager when, when sometimes yeah. they get dropped and they want to know why. But from a professional point of view, how do you kind of work with the, the manager and the players and try and keep the, the kind of balance and the kind of... Uh, well, going, going to Luton was, was uh, you know, an interesting, interesting job. I was only... I don't know, 36, 37, so really pretty young for, for, to be an assistant manager. But it was, uh, it was very interesting because, it, funny enough, when you look at... I'd just come from working with Howard with the England under-20s and under-18s where you had the likes of Steve Gerrard and uh, Legby King and Jonathan Woodgate, that, that level of player. And you go down to League One and the players tend to think that they're, in those days anyway... You know, they tend to think that they were better than than they were. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, there there were a lot of challenges and um, dealing with dealing with the players about when they're dropped and when they're not picked and stuff like that is never easy, um, as as most managers, the most experienced managers would, would would tell you. But I think you still have to to quantify why a player is is not not playing. You have to give them reasons and give them something to work on to make them know that they've got an opportunity to get back in the team. Yeah, and just as an, an assistant manager, do you think your time as an assistant manager made you kind of better um, when it comes to like first team management, you know what I mean, dealing with kind of the, the board and the directors? Because I, I know a lot of people who are assistant managers uh, struggle at the first mm -hmm. team or succeed. And I'm just wondering, do you think that experience as an assistant helped you to try and you know, with that kind of mindset of like, can I, I'm going to be a first team manager, but what do I need to do to kind of get better? Um, I think, I think it makes you aware, but I don't think there's anything that can actually prepare you for it for when you're in there, because it's not a, it's not a job like going in as a bank manager and there is just certain things that you have to do that, yeah. you know, in a straight line, you know, you do this, then that, then next. Right. I think that uh, what happens now, and especially over the last, I mean, it's my 40th year in the game. You know, the, over the last 40 years, when you look at how boards have changed, 
and how owners have changed. If you you know in the in the old days you didn't even see you didn't even know the chairman you hardly ever see him. Now the the, the chairman are just as famous as the players, and uh, and that the amount of money that's involved the amount it means that they can actually do and whatever they want. Getting rid of a manager for them is small fry yeah. uh, compared to what it was before. So. Um, Managing upwards has become a miles bigger problem than it was ever in the past. Yeah, and as a kind of first team coach, you were at Spurs. How how did you kind of deal with the players then? Because obviously it's a big, big jump, you know, and there's a lot of talented, you know, players and egos. How do you kind of keep them all kind of settled? But also for other managers who are kind of listening, how do you work with players who are earning quite a lot of money, but just to keep them level headed? It's very difficult. The the, the 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 most difficult is when you're dealing with players that are not top players but earning a lot of money because they don't actually realise that the top players do work harder and they do they do practice more and and they do uh, strive all the time. When you get players that are comfortable, who don't really need to strive for the money, and probably haven't got the ability of the top players. And don't want to work. Don't don't want to work for it. Um, that's that's why it's very very difficult. Very yeah. difficult. It's probably the most difficult. If you were talking to most managers, they they'd rather work with top motivated players, um, and take the pain that comes with that, than working with the players just underneath who can get you the sack because they they can down tools at any time. Um, they don't really need you because they're already multi millionaires. And I think that's where it's become very difficult for managers in general. You know, the players don't need you. Uh, whereas in the past, play, you're not in the past, but it's depending on the situation, some players want to get better. If you look at um, the Man City, Guardiola, yeah. he's known as a top coach. I've never worked with him or, 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 or seen him work. But, you know, you hear about him working on the basics. Now, a lot of pros think you don't need to work on the basics. And... and, and, and they don't want to work on the basics things break down they know that they're going to be at the club longer than you so they can afford to to um, really control the situation yeah and as a kind of manager you've obviously dealt with kind of Spurs you know dealing dealing with losses and it's a, a lot of pressure how do you kind of deal with the pressure do you have that kind of mindset of I'm going to go in the next day and just go for it, or do you take 24 hours to kind of um, think it through? You know, because I've seen um, when I was uh, reading Pochettino's book, it takes him 24 hours, 40 hours, and he just goes in a room and he just doesn't want to be seen. But some managers want to be seen the next day. So, what do you think of that? I think um, I think um, it's very difficult to prepare yourself for the next day I mean when you lose a game a first team game you feel like you've been kicked in the gut by a horse you know it's 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 sickening especially games that you sh- should have won or could have won um, you know as the way the way I, I look at it I mean obviously I tend to look at the players as you know they to me I try to look at them as, as I would any player I mean, I, I try not to be in awe of the players. So, for for me, 24 hours, I can understand why you would want 24 hours because sometimes you say things that you wouldn't want to say. 
you know, and, and you, you can't take it back. And then 24 hours give you a time to reevaluate things. Um, as far as my, my, myself is concerned, it's it's trying to get back to normality outside, trying to take your mind off the football with um, activities outside, for argument's sake, going to see your nephews and nieces, and you know, yeah. just just live, just being normal as as you can. Um, so that that's generally how I I tend to to deal with um, losses. But no matter how you try to deal with it. it whether you're watching a film or whether you're out with a family, it would always pop back into your head. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's an obsession, you know. Exactly. Like, I, I know the the feeling because when we lose or win, you're always thinking, "What's what's the, the next thing?" But then you want to have that balance of mm. family time, but the back of your mind's thinking, "Oh, I need to I need to do this." And you, I think maybe like as I said before, like three a.m. Oh, actually, I'm going to break things down. You know, exactly. and I think it's a obsession that as football coaches, but also as people, we just have that. As a as you kind of your coaching career went on, you're in QPR, you're temporary, but then you were made made permanent. How was your kind of mindset when you were kind of you didn't know what was happening, and then when you did know, did you have the same kind of mindset, or did you just continue, you know, throughout and say I'm going to go to the next level? Can I get the best out of these players? But they might not know I'm going to be here. But at the end of the day, as professional. Um. Well, I mean, to be fair, uh, I've came came here because of Les. Les Les has been brilliant for me, and he's backed me and helped me to 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 uh, you know progress and move on and, and actually grow. Yeah. Um, as a, you know, grow my profile, grow my my awareness, grow my experiences. So, you know, and, and obviously he he represents the club. So. I had a feeling the club valued me yeah. at that time. Generally, you know whether I was going to be made manager permanently or not. I had a feeling that they they valued me, and and I felt that I did. You know, although things didn't work out how I wanted it to, that, that you know I felt I did um, an, uh, you know, yeah. a, an adequate job, so to, so to speak. So during that time, of course, there was uncertain. Uh, there's, there's uncertainty, but I don't think I let that affect my. Uh, you know my day-to-day running of the club, um, and sometimes you know when when uh, adversity hits, it's almost like a snowball that keeps on gathering, you know, momentum, and and it, then it becomes obvious that you can't stop it and you have to start again. Yeah. You know. Um, so you know, as far as dealing dealing with that, I try to take everything as much um, as trying to deal with the two imposters yeah. the same. You know. Yeah, definitely. Um, now you're at QPR as the technical director. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I've seen today, you are taking the 23s, and you do. I've heard you do about 20 jobs. But mm-hmm. just can you tell us kind of the role you actually have, and how you kind of deal with the kind of pressure with the kind of parents, coaches, and also dealing with the kind of maybe the media side too, because a lot of the kind of yeah. listeners kind of want to know how to deal with media, but also like social media, mm-hmm. and you know. As a, we sit here on such a lovely day, yeah, uh, it's great. but as I said, some people want to know how the you know a technical director works, and is there a is there a way of doing it right, and is there a way of doing it wrong? You know? Well, there's there's two types of technical directors. I mean, I'm a technical director actually from the football point of view. Yeah. There's so, you know some people are technical directors and they do admin and stuff like that, but mine is to actually set the technical program um, for the club. So my other title. Is um, head of coaching. Yep. 
So, but we're unique actually because we're probably the only club that has a head of coaching that works with every team, um, which is, you know, something that I fell into really. But I think it's it's good, yeah. you know, to have a foot in both camps because you can find out you know what the manager wants and you can train the players according the yeah. players underneath accordingly. It doesn't mean that we don't keep our academy philosophy, yeah, because we keep you know we, we believe that you know and since I've been here we've had six managers I've been one of them yeah. so we can't keep changing the philosophy all the time because you never know what any manager is going to want the only thing which we try and do is anybody who has a chance of playing in the first team he, he, for example the the 23s if the manager we think that he, he might use a player we'll play in the way that the manager wants us to play in yeah. order that when he gets into the first team he, 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 he doesn't fail but um you know, dealing with the parents has always been a, a, a you know, a big thing for, for most people in academies. I mean, I think one of the things that, that we have to do as academy people is, is you know, assume loco parentis. So the thing is, we have to treat the kids like they're our, our own, our own family. So, yeah. we, you know, we, we start off with making sure whatever we do, that we treat the players with, with respect. Um, and if we do that, then we can't fail. Because everything else uh, regarding safeguarding and ensuring that the players have a good time comes ahead of whether they become professional footballers. Um, So that's generally what we do. We work on on a basis of, of, I wouldn't say total fairness, but we have a commitment to the players when they come in and a commitment to give them a training programme that addresses individual needs and a games programme that gives them the maximum opportunity to to, to succeed. Now, if we don't start with that, then the whole program fails. Yeah. Um, you know, regarding that, so the parents have to know that. You yeah. Know. It's a, a buy in from the parents, yeah. you know, which is such a thing from players. But the last couple of questions. Um, go back to the, the Charleston battery, where you won the kind of three leagues. Uh, I'm just wondering, seeing the last twenty years, how much have you learned out of you, and is there any key? Kind of developments you've kind of learned as a coach, but also as a person, you could possibly give some advice to. Uh, as regards coaching, or yeah, coaching, uh, uh, coaching. I would imagine. I think if you're a young coach, you need to know. You, you you need to be in a position where you don't know everything, and you've got to understand that you don't know everything. So a lot of people don't know what they don't know, but they think they they think that they do. And I think that there's a lot of uh, coaching experience, good and bad, that's that they don't listen to. I think that they think that tactics were dis- were were invented now, and they're not. No. Um, and I think that they've also got to realise that winning, winning, to- just winning games at youth level doesn't necessarily make you a good coach. Yeah. So it depends what you go into it for. If you're in it for to create professional footballers, then a developmental program is slightly different to a winning the Sunday League program. So yeah. you want to win the Sunday League program. That's fine because people do it. But the most I've found since I've been back in, in, in you know, since 2005 is that the developmental programs of most people are based on how many games they can win rather than how many uh, professional footballers they can, they can uh, help. Yeah. Or how many players they can help to become professional footballers. Right. And just a last um, couple. See, uh, I was, when I was doing my research... Uh, you were called Rambo. Can yeah. you can you tell the listeners why uh, this is? Well, only because uh, 
back when I was playing, that's when the films came out. Yeah. And I was, I, I've got to admit, I was prone to a, to a red card. All right. So, <laughs> so we're just basically taking it on out, basically. Yeah, exactly. No, but And the final question we always ask is, what does mindset mean to you? Mindset of a coach? Mindset of a person, a coach, is like a, from a, let's say from a coaching point of view, what does the mindset mean? Is it winning? Is it loot? Is it development? Or is there a, a sentence you could possibly give us? Just I don't know. Mindset has two, two, two is it's twofold, isn't it? Mindset of of um, of a development coach has to be different to the mindset. Okay. Of, 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 of a first team coach. So let's go with two then. What's the? What do you think? Because you've worked with two. What do you? What's the mindset of a development coach then? Mindset of a development coach is. Basically, how do I help players to fulfil their dreams? Right. And from a first team? Uh... First team point of view, well, it would depend where you are, but the, the fact is, obviously, the mindset is, is uh, the same as I would, I've talked about working with, with all players. You, know, you work on a strength-based capability programme, so if you go into a football club, you can't think, right, we want to play this tippy-tappy type of football no. and the players are not capable of doing it. So you work, obviously, you, you look at the strengths and yep. you look at what they're capable of. And I think that's, that, that is what I would say in all, in all aspects of football. You know, if you're a coach, you work from the strength-based capability programme rather than what are their weaknesses. Because you don't sign players for the weaknesses, you yep. sign them for what they're good at. Thanks for listening. If you don't already, give us a follow on Twitter at The Curve Mindset and please like and retweet the podcast. And also, if you can, leave us a review on SoundCloud or Anchor. Thanks for all your support.